Chapter 27 of In His Steps. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by S. M. Hammond. In His Steps by Charles Monroe Sheldon. Chapter 27. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. The bishop was not in the habit of carrying much money with him, and the man with the stake who was searching him uttered an oath at the small amount of change he found. As he uttered it, the man with the pistol savagely said, Jerk out his watch! We might as well get all we can out of the job. The man with the stake was on the point of laying hold of the chain when there was a sound of footsteps coming towards him. Get behind the fence! We haven't half searched him yet! Mind you keep shut now, if you don't want— the man with the pistol made a significant gesture with it, and, with his companion, pulled and pushed the bishop down the alley and through a ragged, broken opening in the fence. The three stood still there in the shadow until the footsteps passed. "'Now, then, have you got the watch?' asked the man with the pistol. "'No, the chain is caught somewhere,' and the other man swore again. "'Break it, then!' "'No, don't break it,' the bishop said, and it was the first time he had spoken." The chain is the gift of a very dear friend. I should be sorry to have it broken. At the sound of the bishop's voice, the man with the pistol started as if he had been suddenly shot by his own weapon. With a quick movement of his other hand, he turned the bishop's head towards what little light was shining from the alleyway, at the same time taking a step nearer. Then, to the amazement of his companion, he said roughly, Leave the watch alone. We've got the money. That's enough enough fifty cents you don't reckon before the man with the stake could say another word he was confronted with the muzzle of the pistol turned from the bishop's head toward his own leave that watch be and put back the money too this is the bishop we've held up the bishop do you hear and what of it the president of the united states wouldn't be too good to hold up if i say you put the money back or in five seconds i'll blow a hole through your head that'll let in more sense than you have to spare now said the other for a second the man with the stake seemed to hesitate at this strange turn in events as if measuring his companion's intention then he hastily dropped the money back into the rifled pocket you can take your hands down sir the man lowered his weapon slowly still keeping an eye on the other man and speaking with rough respect the bishop slowly brought his arms to his side and looked earnestly at the two men in the dim light it was difficult to distinguish features he was evidently free to go his own way now but he stood there making no movement you can go on you needn't stay any longer on our account the man who had acted as spokesman turned and sat down on the stone the other man stood viciously digging his stake into the ground that's just what i am staying for replied the bishop he sat down on a board that projected from the broken fence you must like our company it's hard sometimes for people to tear themselves away from us and the man standing up laughed coarsely shut up exclaimed the other we're on the road to hell though that's sure enough we need better company than ourselves and the devil if you would only allow me to be of any help the bishop spoke gently even lovingly the man on the stone stared at the bishop through the darkness after a moment of silence he spoke slowly like one who had finally decided upon a course he had at first rejected do you remember ever seeing me before no said the bishop the light is not very good and i have really not had a good look at you do you know me now the man suddenly took off his hat and getting up from the stone walked over to the bishop until they were near enough to touch each other 
the man's hair was coal-black except one spot on the top of his head about as large as the palm of the hand which was white the minute the bishop saw that he started the memory of fifteen years ago began to stir in him the man helped him don't you remember one day back in eighty one or eighty two a man came to your house and told a story about his wife and child having been burned to death in a tenement fire in new york yes i begin to remember now the other man seemed to be interested he ceased digging his stake in the ground and stood still listening do you remember how you took me into your own house that night and spent all next day trying to find me a job and how when you succeeded in getting me a place in a warehouse as foreman i promised to quit drinking because you asked me to i remember it now i hope you have kept your promise the man laughed savagely then he struck his hand against the fence with such sudden passion that it drew blood kept it i was drunk inside of a week i've been drinking ever since but i've never forgotten you nor your prayer do you remember the morning after i came to your house after breakfast you had prayers and asked me to come in and sit with the rest that got me but my mother used to pray i can see her now kneeling down by my bed when i was a lad father came in one night and kicked her while she was kneeling there by me but i never forgot that prayer of yours that morning you prayed for me just as mother used to and you didn't seem to take count of the fact that i was ragged and tough-looking and more than half drunk when i rang your doorbell oh what a life i've lived the saloon has housed me and honed me and made hell on earth for me but that prayer stuck to me all the time my promise not to drink was broken into a thousand pieces inside of two sundays and i lost the job you found for me and landed in a police station two days later but i never forgot you nor your prayer i don't know what good it has done me but i never forgot it and i won't do any harm to you nor let anyone else so you're free to go that's why the bishop did not stir somewhere a church clock struck one the man had put on his hat and gone back to his seat on the stone the bishop was thinking hard how long is it since you had work he asked and the man standing up answered for the other more'n six months since either of us did anything to tell of unless you count holdin' up work i call it pretty wearin kind of job myself especially when we put in a night like this and don't make nothin suppose i found good jobs for both of you would you quit this and begin all over uh, what's the use the man on the stone spoke sullenly i reformed a hundred times every time i go down deeper the devil's begun to foreclose on me already it's too late no said the bishop and never before the most entranced audience had he felt the desire for souls burn up in him so strongly all the time he sat there during the remarkable scene he prayed o oh lord jesus give me the souls of these two for thee i am hungry for them give them to me no the bishop repeated what does god want of you two men it doesn't so much matter what i want but he wants just what i do in this case you two men are of infinite value to him and then his wonderful memory came to his aid in an appeal such as no one on earth among men could make under such circumstances he had remembered the man's name in spite of the wonderfully busy years that lay between his coming to the house and the present moment burns he said and he yearned over the men with an unspeakable longing for them both if you and your friend here will go home with me to-night i will find you both places of honourable employment i will believe in you and trust you you are both comparatively young men why should god lose you it is a great thing to win the love of the great father it is a small thing that i should love you 
But if you need to feel again that there is love in this world, you will believe me when I say, My brothers, that I love you, and in the name of him who was crucified for our sins, I cannot bear to see you miss the glory of the human life. Come, be men. Make another try for it, God helping you. No one but God and you and myself need ever know anything of this tonight. He has forgiven it the minute you ask him to. You will find that true. Come, we'll fight it out together, you two and I. It's worth fighting for. Everlasting life is. It was the sinner that Christ came to help. I'll do what I can for you. Oh God, give me the souls of these two men. And he broke into a prayer to God that was a continuation of his appeal to the men. His pent-up feeling had no other outlet. Before he had prayed many moments, Burns was sitting with his face buried in his hands, sobbing. Where were his mother's prayers now? They were adding to the power of the bishops. And the other man, harder, less moved, without a previous knowledge of the bishop, leaned back against the fence, stolid at first. But as the prayer went on, he was moved by it. What force of the Holy Spirit swept over his dull, brutal, coarsened life, nothing but the eternal records of the recording angel can ever disclose, but the same supernatural presence that smote Paul on the road to Damascus and poured through Henry Maxwell's church the morning he asked disciples to follow in Jesus' steps, and had again broken irresistibly over the Nazareth Avenue congregation, now manifested himself in this foul corner of the mighty city and over the natures of these two sinful sunken men, apparently lost to all the pleadings of conscience and memory in God. The prayer seemed to rend open the crust that for years had surrounded them and shut them off from divine communication, and they themselves were thoroughly startled by it. The bishop ceased, and at first he himself did not realize what had happened. Neither did they. Burns still sat with his head bowed between his knees. The man leaning against the fence looked at the bishop with a face in which new emotions of awe, repentance, astonishment, and a broken gleam of joy struggled for expression. The bishop rose. Come, my brothers, God is good. You shall stay at the settlement tonight, and I will make good my promise as to the work. The two men followed him in silence. When they reached the settlement, it was after two o'clock. He let them in and led them to a room. At the door he paused a moment. His tall, commanding figure stood in the doorway, and his pale face was illuminated with the divine glory. God bless you, my brothers, he said, and leaving them his benediction, he went away. End of chapter 27